Uh, well, good morning. I also want to welcome you if you are a guest or visiting today. My name is James, one of the pastors here. Uh, we are, as a church, working through one of Paul's letters uh, to a church in Colossae called Colossians. And so this was a letter written to a new church, and he's just unpacking what difference Jesus makes, who he is as God in your life. And in context, we've been talking a lot about relationships and so today we get to have a lot of fun, and we're going to be in two verses. We're going to be talking about marriage, okay? The whole Sunday gathering, this whole message is going to be about marriage. And so to uh, maybe spark some interest into where we're going, I want to start with this question. Okay, here's the question. What if marriage isn't about finding the right person, but about becoming the right person? Okay, so I, just, I want you to think about this question. What if marriage is not about finding the right person, but about becoming the right person? What, what if your belief when it came to being a spouse was not first about getting something from someone, but becoming more like someone, uh, namely Jesus? And I begin this way because uh, we're in Colossians and Paul has just been unpacking for us that the only way you're gonna grow as a Christian spiritually and emotionally is gonna be in the context of relationships. And so he's been saying one of God's agendas in our lives is to form us to become more like Jesus, that Jesus not only dies for us and we receive his identity and we have a relationship with the Father, but we also get to now reflect him in our relationships. We get to be changed by him. So what he's gonna do in that context is he's gonna till up that old you, some of those old characteristics that God wants to change so that you can become more like Jesus. So he doesn't just save us, he changes us. The big idea is Jesus does change people. Jesus changes the way you do relationships. And today Jesus changes the way we do marriage. Okay. How's he going to help us become more like him relationships. And so simply put, God has our marriage relationship, your marriage. Okay. Everyone think of your own marriage. If you're married, your marriage is one of his primary means by which he's going to change you. And, and so that's what I want. That's what I want to do this morning. That's what I'm after before we get into our two verses. So, so that's where we're gonna go. So before we pack verses 18 and 19, I wanna prepare us with this lens, namely marriage is about changing us because this is what Colossians has been saying, forming us into his image. And then we'll get into the two verses, okay? So that's where we're going. Before, we, before I pray, I wanna pray for you. I wanna pray for you. Here's why. Uh, I just know that there are maybe some people right now in this room, you're already checked out. Like you just already checked out because in your marriage, you're just thinking, what's the point? Like you, you know that within your own marriage, you go, nothing has changed. Like we've done some stuff, we've heard some sermons and nothing has changed, James. So what's the point? I kind of just wish I didn't come today because another sermon on marriage, I hate it. So, so that may be you, or I wanna pray for you because maybe you're here and, and you, you've been anticipating Maybe you, you love Colossians and you've been anticipating a verse that says, wives submit to your husbands and husbands love your wives. And so that's our verse today. And you're going, I don't agree with that culturally. So, you know, you can preach it, preacher, but I got my back up. So you'll listen because you'll be like, I wonder what he's going to say to the wives. But you're not listening. And so I want to pray for you. I want to pray in that um, because God wants to change some of that. Some of you are, you're not married and you're going, no, <laughs> this is the worst. Because every time you hear a sermon on marriage, you're like, thank you for reminding me what I don't have. You hate it. So you're, now you're like, 
I don't want to listen to James for another 40 minutes. He usually goes to 50, but uh, I'm, I'm single. And it sucks right now, by the way, James. So thank you. And so I want to pray for you. Just so you know, I pray for you often. And then I think there's some of us in here who, uh, man, you are, you're like marriage, guns ready. You got every technique. You're, you know, you got all the tricks and you've read a lot of good books, but today's sermon is gonna say something very different than, than another technique. And so we got lots to pray about. Let me pray. And then, and then I, w- I want us to walk in this together. Father, I just wanna thank you. I wanna thank you that you have not made a mistake. We're in this room. And you wanna speak to us in areas that we don't want you to, or we don't think you can have power in. And I just wanna pray for those who I mentioned that that you would just be such a loving father to them. I pray that you would, you would um, like a good dad, get down on your knee and do a work that only you can do. I just, I pray for that. I pray you'd help me have great clarity and Holy Spirit, I pray that you'd fill me. Thank you for convicting and teaching me. And I pray that you would do the same for us, that the word of God would be so powerful this morning that we would walk out of here going, something happened, something clicked, the Holy Spirit changed my life. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, so here's what we're gonna do. We'll read our passage, and I wanna read it in context. We're only gonna look at verses 18 and 19 today but I'd like us to see it in like a bigger context. So we're gonna start reading from verse 12 to 19. So will you stand? We're doing this for this series. Uh, if you're new, we just thought we would stand for God's word because it's, in history, the church did that and it respects and honors God's word. And so we're gonna, we're gonna do that. So uh, let me read it. Here's our passage. Paul writes this, "'Put on then as God's chosen ones, "'holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, "'kindness, humility, meekness, and patience.'" bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, which with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. You may be seated. All right, so here's where we're going. We're gonna have, uh, like I said, I wanna prepare us for, those two verses. So we're going to look at first the growth of us in marriage, the growth of us in marriage. Then we're going to look at the gift of a wife's submission and then the goal of a husband's love. Okay. So those are our three points where we're going. So if you're taking notes and you want to remember this, the growth of us in marriage, the gift of a wife's submission, the goal of a husband's love. Okay. So let's start the growth of us in marriage. How many of you would agree that in almost all marriage relationships, especially when there's no reference to God, there's no acknowledging of God, that marriage relationships, they tend to be about meeting one another's needs. Okay, so the common underlining uh, motivation in love is mutual, 
you know, happiness, mutual, as long as we're both happy, that's the, kind of the general place. And so um, it's not uncommon then when you're talking to a friend to very quickly uh, sense that the marriage relationship is centered on what can I get out of it? You wouldn't say that, but that's what's kind of going on. And, and there's a lot more to add. I mean, obviously that's a big general statement. Um, but I say this, here's why, because most of the marriage counseling uh, I've done, I've heard something along the lines of, James, my needs are not being met in my marriage. It, it always comes down to, after a great explanation, deep down, my needs are not being met in my marriage. How many of you who are married right now, you would say, man, I think about that often. Like you would say, my needs are not being met in my marriage and I deserve better. And so today you would admit in your heart, yeah, I, look, I know marriage has a greater goal, but deep down my frustrations and dissatisfaction and bitterness and, and uh, resentment really is rooted in wanting my spouse to meet my needs. That's usually why I'm upset. My needs are not being met. And so you would admit today, you know, all of your toxic texts or your arguments or your complaints or your coldness with your husband or with your wife is you don't make me happy and I don't feel appreciated and why do you do everything wrong? Okay, how many of you don't put your hand up but you're like, yep, like that's me right now and both spouses are like, "Mm mm-hmm. So what do you do when Paul says, uh, put on compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, bearing with one another, forgiving one another, when it's hard to know how to continue to love when you're angry or hurt or even scared and you don't feel very loving? What do we do? How are we to think? How are we to think biblically when we're in this conflicted, we read verses and I'm not happy just ignore the Bible. I'll, be, I'll apply that to other relationships, but my marriage, they don't deserve that. Well, as I said in the beginning, what we need to do is we need to come into Colossians 3 and, and don't miss it. We need to embrace that Paul's not making an exception on marriage for what God's wanting to do in us and through us through the relationships. As we said, if marriage isn't about finding the right person, but about becoming the right person, then what we need is a new lens in our marriage. What you need is a new lens in your marriage. And I, I'm gonna be bold here. I, this can change your marriage, okay? Oh, that's bold. No, I said it. I said it, okay? I said that. So I know it's bold. So here's the lens you need to have in your marriage. You ready? It's so profound. Here it is. God is doing something good in me. That's what you need to have. It's seeing God is using my marriage to change me. How's that life-changing? Let me give you a common conversation I've had multiple times, okay, and I'm gonna add some wisdom from one biblical counselor throughout this, but here's a scenario. So I'll get a text um, from, from someone and, they, and they'll say to me, Hey, do you have any chance you can meet? Uh, I need to talk to you about my marriage. And I'm like, of course, let's meet. So we'll meet up and um, we'll pray. And the conversation will go something like this. James, I just, I don't know what to do. Like I'm lost. And I'm, 
I've tried everything. Okay, these are fictitious names. Susan is making everything so hard. And I, I just need to confess to you, just you know, on the outside, you see us at church and stuff, and we look all nice and great. But man, at home, it's cold. Like we're just like roommates and we haven't prayed, we haven't talked, there's nothing. To make it worse, like James, I'm, I have read books on marriage. I have read on how to be a godly husband. I've gone to conferences. I've talked to as many guys as I could in my community group. And man, like it's just not effective. It's nothing's working and I'm really tired and I don't know what to do. My wife, she's still doesn't really want anything to do with me. She's very cold. She's unresponsive sexually. I just, I feel like giving up. She's not interested in working on her attitude or on us. I mean, I'm lost, okay? That's painful. But this is the reality in Nathan's heart. He's breaking, he's trying and trying, and Susan hasn't responded the way he hoped. It's still distant, painful, full of conflict. It's superficially pleasant, but emotionally very cold. And so his marriage is in trouble. And he's not sure if he can do or what he will do will ever change anything. He's not sure if anything he can do will ever change it to be what he desires. So, so what's going on here? Well, simply, Nathan believed God would change his spouse if only he learned how to act right. I mean, just on the surface, Nathan believed he came to me thinking if I do the right thing, then my marriage will get better. So here's my question. What's off with that? The answer is it's still about him. So follow me here. We're not promised that when we act a certain way, God's obligated to our relationship. Like it's this gonna be this combo. If I just act like this and this is what we want, then things are gonna go there. And follow me, if you hold that in your marriage as how things should work, you will not only be bitter, but you will not see what good God wants to do in you. So you're like, okay, show me that. Okay, well, let's go back to Nathan's situation because I wanna expose what I mean. First, let me just say this. As sinful human beings, we are always, okay? Everyone's hands up on this one. We're always tempted to first point the finger at our spouse when we think he or she is acting wrong. It's obvious, but we need to say it. As sinful human beings, we're always tempted to first point the finger out when we think someone's acting wrong. So take Nathan's example. What's typical in this very common situation is that what Nathan will do is he'll tell Susan, Susan, you are bitter. And I know I've hurt you in the past, but I'm trying. And so you need to forgive me, okay? Let me, Colossians says, forgive as you've been forgiven. Listen to James's sermon. That's what he'll do. But why does Nathan do this? He wants her to feel bad. He wants her to feel something. He wants her to feel a sense of guilt or embarrassment, but she's still cold. And so what does Nathan do? He thinks, okay, you know what? I'm gonna try to change myself. I'm gonna be an amazing, loving husband. So he brings her flowers. He surprises her. He, 
you know, buys her something nice. He makes the kids lunches. He, he invites her out to a romantic dinner. And, and so follow me here. Nathan's approach to Susan has switched. And so people around Nathan are like, wow, he is getting better. Come on, Susan. He's look, don't you see the effort? But what hasn't changed? His motives. So follow me here. Nathan's new and good behaviors may have looked more loving, but his heart was still motivated by his own desire to see Susan change. Now, ladies, okay? Susan is a woman. God has made her instinctively aware. So he might fool his friends, but he's not fooling her. He's not fooling her. Nathan's selfishness came out in a hundred less obvious ways, less demanding ways than it had in the past, but it's still there. What do you mean? Well, he was only acting more loving so that, Sarah, so that Susan would change. He was only acting more loving so that Susan would change. David's agenda, Nathan's agenda, I changed all the names because I saw people in here, but I was like, don't say David, that's David. Um, Nathan's agenda from the beginning of his marriage was the selfish desire to turn Susan into the wife he wanted, to change her into what most suited his standards, his felt needs. His motivation was not to love her, to love her. her his motivation was never to love God. He wasn't doing it for God or for her. He was trying to be more loving so that she could be the kind of wife he really wanted to form her into being. That's convicting. Spouses, how much of our behavior is to get something in return to meet our happiness or our pleasure or our felt needs? Okay, I was so uh, humbled by this as I was just trying to find out how we're gonna walk into this passage because I know what God has for us is so good. And uh, I was convicted by this. And, and so I was convicted by how much my motives with Nikki, my wife, are to turn her into the wife I want, to feed my own felt needs. And so I asked her to forgive me on Friday. She didn't. She, she's got her own issues. She didn't forgive me, but um, just kidding. She did. So let's get more into this. Here's what you need to know about Nathan. Many of his early problems in their marriage, they rooted here. Namely, follow me, he wanted her to love him. He wanted her to meet his needs. He had, he had a vision of what marriage should be. He moralized that. And when she failed, he scolded her early on. He, he withdrew from her. The scenario was that she wouldn't respond the way he wanted, so he would sulk and he would pout. And then she'd be like, what is up? And he wouldn't talk. Finally, Susan had enough. And that's how you got there. What was missing in the soul and the culture of this marriage was a belief that being a wife and husband is about God changing us. That he's using the other to till up the dark characteristics, the selfishness, so that we can take them to Jesus where he forgives us and changes us so that our marriages can be a picture of Christ and the church. 
So how does Jesus change us into the wives and husbands Paul calls us to put on? Okay, well, think about this with me. How would God help Nathan become more like Christ? How would God help Nathan to uh, see what selfishness, self-centeredness, and sinfulness is in his heart? How is he gonna expose that for him to become more like Christ? His marriage. How is God going to accomplish his growth, his character to be sharpened? Practically, he would need to expose that. So what happened to Nathan, and in Nathan, when he realized his wife wasn't the wife he had hoped for, well, he got to see what his primary motive was in his marriage. What was his primary motive in marriage? His own happiness. And when she didn't give him that, it came out. So here's what I'm saying. God is a great God, and he's at work to change us. I mean, what a greater classroom for Nathan, for us to learn practically how to die to ourselves, how to bear with one another and forgive one another than in his marriage. Well, you couldn't get a better classroom on dying to yourself. God's at work to change us. Many of us would look at our marriages and go, nothing's changing. Something's changing. You, you becoming more like Christ if you're seeing it and not holding on to something that marriage was not meant to fully give you. So here's what I'm saying. God is at work to change us, to show us truly how only Jesus can fully fulfill us. And he doesn't call us to get our fullness in marriage, but to show his fullness through marriage. Let me say that again. He doesn't call us to get our fullness in our marriage, but to show his fullness through marriage. And so you need to know that God is a good father and he's pursuing you and he's loving you and he's good and he didn't make a mistake with who you married. Like he wasn't off the clock that day when you guys met. You know, because if there's the one, some guy screwed it up in like the 1400s and married the wrong guy. And it was just like, there's no the one. That's like a unicorn. Okay? You single people, unicorn. but he's teaching you and I personal lessons on how to grow and become more and more like Jesus in the everyday of it. Let me put it this way. God is teaching us how to be more loving even when our spouse doesn't love us in return. He is teaching us how to forgive when our spouse never apologizes. He is showing us how we can overcome evil with good and how to be content in all things. Where else are you gonna learn that? True or false, these lessons are not learned from a book or in the context of a healthy marital bliss, but in hardship. God wants us to understand the suffering of Christ. He does. Now, if you're not a Christian, I know that sounds weird. But if you are a Christian, you know exactly what I'm saying. That there's, there's more of him. There's, there's a, in, in walking the path he walked, a kind of, Love for others and God in the way he's loved you, that his, only his sufferings and us entering into that kind of suffering would we be like him. 
Jesus was rejected. Jesus was up against hard-hearted and stubborn people. Jesus loved and served and he gave and he sacrificed, often getting nothing in return. Nathan would never fully mature and be like Christ as long as his own, and listen, his own, they're not wrong, but his own ultimate desires to have a good marriage controlled him. If that controls you, you'll miss this. Now, I'm not saying God doesn't want your joy. What I am saying is Nathan needed to learn how to find his joy and happiness in God. Why? Why? So God could change him to love his wife and find happiness in the process of loving her like Jesus loved him. So God could change him to love his wife and find happiness in the process of being like Jesus, of loving her like Jesus loved him. Here's what the Bible says. Jesus is even more concerned with our personal happiness than the world is. You need to know that. He is passionate about your joy. He said, I've come that I may have life to the full, but it's happiness is as Jordan mentioned, entrusting him, getting our well-being in his love, his grace, his mission. Gary Thomas, who's written much on marriage, he put it this way. Marriage is more than a sacred covenant with another person. It is a spiritual discipline designed to help you know God better, trust him more fully, and love him more deeply. Now, you know, I'm not saying everything about marriage. We've done a few sermons on this. If you want to learn... Um, you know, we talked a lot about friendship. We talked about God and marriage, God's design on marriage. We just did that a few weeks ago. But this is one angle that doesn't get talked about a lot in the church, that God is going to change you to become more like Jesus. And the context is your marriage. And if you just stay all week long in a, what is she gonna do for me? Why can't he do this for me? It'll ruin your life. Because it's not for her And so when you walk in these commands with a whole new skip of like, I'm going to obey and act right regardless if my spouse acts wrong because this is what's happening in me, God gets glorified and you get to see some life change. So, I hope that's helpful. I can't hear like a pin drop in this room. You guys are like, does he watch me? Yes, I do. I got cameras everywhere. Um, <laughs> the gift of a submissive wife. Okay, you ready? Let's get into the text. That's my original job, verse 18. Original, it's always my job. Okay, uh, so number one, we've seen the growth of us in marriage. God's growing us in our marriage. That's the big idea. Get excited. And if your marriage is really hard, gets, let's meet because we can do what we just did with Nathan. And you can do that on your own. And some of you need to go and apologize to your wife like I did. And just say, just so you know, most of my actions towards you have been to try to get something from you. And that's not right. And I was really convicted by that. Will you forgive me? And if she says no, you get to be more like Jesus. You know, you just be like, all right. Just kidding. All right. Verse 18. Everyone's been waiting for this. Wives. 
Submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. One translation says, wives, be subject to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. The first thing I want you to see is the word fitting. It means is suitable. It's the right thing in the Lord's sight. If you want to please God in your marriage, this is what you do. He says, wives, yield to the authority of your husbands because it's the right thing in the covenant of your marriage. And, and this is the teaching of the New Testament. In every passage, and I looked at them all up, every passage that deals with the relationship of the wife to her husband in the New Testament, this word is used, submit. Let me show you. I'm just going to show you the Bible. We'll read it together. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also the picture being wives should submit in everything to their husbands. In, in 1 Peter, we read, Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. One more, in Titus, we read, Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. Okay, apparently you drink more when you're older. I don't know. People are like, who? Uh, they are to teach what is good. So older ladies, teach what is good, and so train the younger women to love their husbands. What would that look like in the church? And children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands that the word of God may not be reviled. Same idea that it's fitting in the Lord. Okay, so that's, that's the word of God. So for the sake of clarity, let me just say, Paul's not asking every woman to submit to any man. Okay, that's unbiblical and unhealthy on every level. Okay, I would never tell my daughters, do what men say. No. So let's get that out of the way. In this context, we're saying in the covenant of this marriage, which is to mirror the relationship between God and his bride. In this context of marriage, God's designed the particular calling and role as the woman in all her beauty and strength and gifts and thoughts and feelings and, and everything she is in this covenant of marriage to have with her a voluntary yielding in love role. Equal in the image of God with value, dignity, and competency. Wives, when it comes to your marriage, you are to have a posture where as the husband, and we'll get to him, as the husband loves you, lays down his life for you, leads you spiritually, holds your hand, says, let's pray but over this decision. She's not to go, no, no, you're an idiot. You always make dumb choices. You can't even drive. I'm done. <laughs> Rather, she is to go. God's calling him to take responsibility. I'm going to trust God by trusting him. I'm going to submit under his leadership in love, trusting 
that this displays what marriage is to display. The world would look into my marriage and see a relational picture of Christ and his bride. That's what I, that's what I want. That's what the, the, the new creation wife is thinking. I wanna show the gospel. So what Paul's insisting here is that there's a way to see a marriage flourish as it is to display the relationship of Jesus in the church. So let me ask you, wives, if you had a trusted friend, if you had a trusted friend who always cared for you, who, who always gave their best, sacrificed everything to be with you, always sought your good in every decision, sought your opinion, wanted to hear from you, you knew was safe to be around. If they said, I think we need to do this and go here, would it be hard to yield and go, yeah? Probably not. I think any human relationship would say no. Now, this doesn't mean wives are to be silent or don't lead in a lot of areas within the marriage. There's role and there's mutual leadership. There's responsibility and mutual friendship. Submission does not mean the wife must suppress her creative energy or adopt some kind of passive approach. All you have to do is open your, your Bibles to Proverbs 31 and that just blows that out of the water because she's incredible. That's a myth. Submission, let me make it really clear, is the disposition to honor. Did you notice the language? Respectful, pure, to honor and affirm a husband's authority and an inclination to embrace his leadership under the belief that this is what magnifies the gospel. Well, what if my husband doesn't lead at all? What if my husband's not like Christ? Well, you ain't, okay, hold on. It's a good question. What if he doesn't lead? And, and I have nothing to submit to because he's so passive. First, don't think that. Don't think that. So let me say a few things. Marriage wars often begin in our negative or inaccurate ways of interpreting each other. So I'm gonna say this point under the heading of women, but it's not just for women. So let me, so, so stay with me. Let me say it again. Marriage wars often begin in our negative or inaccurate ways of interpreting each other. So, so let's just imagine a husband comes home from work and he's been working on this project and this deal and he gets it and he's so excited. He's, he's excited to tell his wife about this deal and the promotion and what that means for their family. And so he walks through the door and the moment he walks in, his wife throws the three-year-old at him and says, I'm out of here and goes to work out, Okay says, I've had it. The husband will then typically feel frustrated, dejected. He'll think she doesn't, like seriously, she doesn't care about me. She never asked me how my day is. She doesn't appreciate how hard I work. And he's stewing, you know? He's like, oh, this is so typical. Oh, that's what stewing looks like. And, and, but his wife comes home and she's refreshed. She did bar, so she's pumped. She's in pain, but she's pumped. She feels good. She got away. 
And uh, so she's eager to talk and engage. But what does the husband do? He ignores her, right? And so she knows she's so sweet. She moves in, sits next to him. But the moment she sits down, he gets up and goes to bed. How does she feel? Hurt, rejected. She's like, What's, like, what is with him? Doesn't he realize how hard it is to be a mom? Like he gets to go out for lunches. I, I can't even go to the bathroom without someone banging on the door. Why should I have to beg him to take her off my hands? I need a break too. Okay, so what's happening there? Is he spying on us? Does he really have cameras? He might. When both spouses acted the way they did, each reacted with a negative interpretation. Follow me. In situations like this, it's easy to focus all our attention on how our spouse has hurt or angered us. It's so easy, but it's often not true. This is so important. Your feelings are caused not by your spouse's behavior, but by the way you interpreted his or her behavior. Let me say that again. Because if you care about your marriage, you're going to listen really closely. Your feelings are caused not by your spouse's behavior, but by the way you interpreted his or her behavior. Are you with me on that? So in this scenario, the husband interpreted his wife going to work out in a certain subjective way. He told himself she didn't care. She didn't think of him or his needs. But were those thoughts accurate? Let me ask you, let me ask it this way. Could he have thought about her leaving in a different light? Yes. But we do this all the time. Why? Because as sinful human beings, we all have a heart that is oriented around self-serving interests. But let me ask you this. What would have happened if the husband had thought more in the moment about his wife's needs than his own? What if he interpreted her behavior very differently? What if, what if he thought she must have really had a hard day? She usually doesn't, you know, leave that quickly. I need to be supportive. I can tell her later... I can give her the good news later. I need to be here. I need to give her some relief. He could have remained calm throughout the whole evening. He could have enjoyed some precious time with his little girl. And then he could have shared his good news as he got home as they cuddled on the couch. My point was that your husband's actions are not always what you think. They doesn't care about you. This is where there is great wisdom in a lot of the marriage counseling when it comes to communication. But the call here is, there, is, is there a culture of your marriage where you're friends? That it's safe. That you can get a baby thrown at you and you go, you go, girl. We'll talk later. I'm your friend. Is that in the culture of your marriage? Wives, wives. You need to stop yourself and say, is this thought, how I'm processing this behavior accurate? 
before you just go, oh, mom, I'm about to tell you something. Like, before you do that, stop. Because some of, some wives are too hard-hearted because you've interpreted inaccurately for too long and he can't breathe. He doesn't feel safe when the culture you create is you're a failure, you're a pervert, you're an idiot. Behaviors that come out of a self-centered, selfish, proudful, rebellious heart are often not just what you perceive in him. Like lying or lust or addiction, whatever that is, but the same sinful heart can also produce more benign but chronically irritating behaviors such as nagging, criticism, not listening to him well, or holding from him what God has given as a gift in marriage based on his performance. Okay, so wives, um, I want to ask you this, how's it going? I dare you to ask your husband this week, how am I doing at loving you? And just listen. Now, it must be said that there are um, very pathetic, abusive men who have taken this verse without reading their call and have used it to hurt women. And sadly, women have an incorrect view of what this great role is. So wives, you need to hear um, in this that God loves your marriage. And so if you have an angry or very controlling or somewhat of an abusive husband, you need to tell someone and we need to deal with him. Being submissive does not mean you give in to his demands. It does not say wives obey. It tells parent, I mean, it tells children to obey. But if he makes demands, what you need to do is the second part, which is fitting in the Lord. You need to act right by speaking in love, truth about his sinful behaviors with clarity, confront the behavior, set appropriate boundaries. So I'm not saying that you need to just walk into if he is not loving you well, which makes me want to go to him now, okay? So let's go. Husbands, verse 19. So we looked at Jesus is changing us in our marriage, the gift of a submissive wife. Now the goal of a loving husband, verse 19. Husbands, your call, your role, your actions, regardless of how she behaves, moves towards you or not. For your good is, verse 19, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. He says, husbands, love your wives. This word, uh, it's, it's a word, agapeo. It's actually a non-sexual word. It's a word that talks about deep friendship. It means to have a strong affection and love for a person and their good characterized by a willing forfeit of your rights for the good of another. 
This is a word that says you forfeit your life for. So husbands, forfeit yourself, love for the benefit of your wife. So let's just keep going like the way we did with uh, wives. Ephesians 5 says this, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Think of the cross. How did Jesus love us? How did Jesus serve us? Peter writes this, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, the more sensitive, the more you need to care for her. You need to be careful with your words, with your thoughts, with your actions. She can break emotionally, spiritually a lot faster than if you yelled at a guy. Since the heirs with you of the grace of life, listen to this part, so that your prayers may not be hindered. So husbands, he says, take your cues from Jesus. He says, serve and sacrifice, dying to yourself. The call on a husband is to, is to no matter how the response is, have an action and a heart to, to for, forfeit your time, your, your energy, your, your rights so that your wife flourishes. You would, this is a constant, you're constantly coming into the presence of your wife thinking, how can I die to help her? What can I do to serve her? If Jesus was with me in the room, how would we both respond to her? You would talk sweetly, you would love her, you would think about her, you'd enjoy her, you guys, because you're friends. But he, he's speaking into this, into this culture. By the way, this culture was very hierarchical at that time, so this is very controversial. You never talked to men like this. You can't find any historical ancient document that tells a leader, that tells a man what to do, other than the Bible. So this is incredible. This is unreal. But here's what you need to hear. Is that last verse still up there? Okay, look at that last line. So husbands, look right at me. God made your wife. So she's first his. And God wants his daughter to have a warm, safe, life-giving, healthy place, which is why Peter says, you treat her like trash, don't expect God to hear you pray. We're made, we're made to light, we're made to find joy in dying to ourselves. Like this is not to be like, oh, I hate this first, skip it. You, you were built by God to die for her. You're built by God to love this verse, to find life and going, how can I sacrifice more? How can I give her more? I really like serving her. I really like dying. This should begin to be something that breathes life into you. You shouldn't fear this verse. But because of our sinful selfishness and the culture that says women are there to give you everything, you, you, you're just conflicted. But Paul says you should love submission because you love the way, I mean, Paul says your wives should love submission because of how you treat them. She should not have a pit in her stomach when it comes to submission, other than when like she's got to tell her friends about this verse. But she should love it because she loves how you're serving love and dying for her. And the key again is to cultivate a friendship with your wife. You're not appeasing her. 
You're not like doing stuff so that you know, like you can get your stuff done so that you can go on a trip and you can do that. That's just about you. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to look at her all week, okay? She's gonna be weirded out. I know when I stare at Nikki, she's like, don't stare. Um, but I like staring at her. But what I want you to do is I want you to look at her this whole week and I want you to seriously ask yourself, how do you view her? Like, how do I view her? I mean, seriously, just ask yourself, how do I view her? And whatever comes to your heart, don't be afraid of that. And, and don't play the condemnation game. Don't play the pouty game. You go right to the cross because you were forgiven. You take that and you go, not anymore. I was so humbled by this because I'm just not great at, I'm not great at being a great husband. The call here is to think of your wife like a garden. Okay, you're a gardener borrow this analogy, but your job is to protect and make sure the garden is safe, the garden's growing, and it's getting what it needs. So loving your wife is understanding how the garden works, what, what's planted in the garden. It means you have some great convictions around leading her, loving her, and empowering her. You, you believe, because he says, don't be harsh. You can take the verse off the screen. It says, um, don't be harsh with her. Meaning you, you have in your mind this idea that like what's more important than an issue is the friendship. So husbands, here's what I, I dare you to ask your wife today, what's one or two ways I can be more loving to you? What's one or two ways I can be more loving to you? And then just listen don't be defensive. Don't think, I do that. Don't do that. Because I know that's where you're going to, I do that. No, you don't. If you need to ask her a clarity question, like what would that look like? Because oftentimes we think, oh, I do that. And she's like, you don't. Write that down. But here's, here's the key, okay? How would Jesus listen to her? In most of the counseling I do, or like the one-on-one -on -one friendships, I often think, how would Jesus listen to this person? So think, how would Jesus listen to her response? Men, I know I'm going long, but we're almost done, okay? The reason we become harsh is that we exist for ourselves. We have this natural default that says, you don't give me what I want, so I'm gonna escape. I'm gonna do my own hobbies. I'm gonna do my own, hang out with my buddies. And Jesus would look at you and look at us as husbands and say, I'm for her and I'm for you. And I love you like crazy. You're my son. I didn't make a mistake, but you need to stop being controlling. You need to stop being domineering. You gotta stop being stingy. You gotta stop caring more about your resources than your wives. You need to stop criticizing. You need to stop yelling. You need to stop going like that.
Your dad might have done that, but you have the Holy Spirit in you and you're not him. So stop expecting her to fear you. Stop expecting her to be your mom. Some of you would say, I think my wife's lazy. You would say, if she worked for me, I would fire her. If that's how you think, well, I'll say it this way, shame on us if we think that. That should break our hearts if we think that. If someone thought that about Talia, my little two-year-old, I think I would start prison ministry or something. Like, it would be over. If she throws it back in your face, you need to remember the way Jesus treated you. We love because God commanded us to. We don't love to get a response. Husbands, the call is to care for her soul, to nourish it more than you do your own. Let me ask you, husbands, do you pray for her? Is she in your prayer life? Do you seek to romance her? Look, not to get some, but to romance her because you love her. The call to be the head is the call to be the one responsible and to be the first. So I'll wrap it up this way. We cannot control our spouse's hearts, but we can please God and be transformed and trust he's doing something good. So here's the last question I want you to think of. What would it look like to be excited about becoming more like Jesus as you love your spouse? What would it look like to be excited about becoming more like Jesus as you love your spouse? Let's pray. Father, we love your word. And we pray that you would help us follow you, live for you, love you, know that we're loved by you. And I just pray that as we respond, that you would, you would help us to not be anxious about this sermon, but to see it as a way to find great life and help. And I thank you that you love us through your word and I pray that we would respond to you in obedience and in those dares that, that I wrote as I was just studying this, I pray that they would happen and they wouldn't, they wouldn't go bad. I just, I pray for just a newness. I pray that the gospel could be seen in really hard and broken marriages. And I pray that, that the lens by which we would go into this week in our relationships would be that of Christ, that we wouldn't seek to act so that people would change and benefit us, that we would, whatever we do, we would do it all for the glory of God in word or deed. So we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Will you stand with, let's stand together.
as we respond in song and communion and prayer, we celebrate, we're forgiven that God has died for our sin in full. And those sins that have caused a lot of pain in our marriages, he's died for, you're forgiven. And you're to walk in that. And, um, and the spirit will help you in this. So pray for courage, pray what you need to pray for. There's a prayer. Mark and Shelley would love to pray for you. And then Dale will close our time.